And that's a series that we're in, the cure for the common trial. But we want to hurry, slow down. It takes time for us to even slow down because we don't have time to slow down. It's interesting that the only way many of us will slow down is if we get hurt, injured, or if we get sick. But even then, some of us still keep going even when we're sick. See, our bodies weren't made to live at the pace that the world lives at. The world, about maybe 10 or 15 years ago, said that every five years, new information came into our society. So if we weren't growing in knowledge and information 20% a year, within five years, we'd be obsolete. Today, every two years, they say, new information comes into the world. But every two months, technology changes. So by the time you bought your phone, the other one is coming out. It changes that quick. I was just talking with someone earlier, and um, we we're talking about our, our, our podcasts that are on the website, and we're working on a, a church app that will come out in the future. And, and they said, well, before I even can get a church app, I need a phone that can have a church app. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your grandkids or your children. They'll let you know what I just said. It changes so quickly, and we live in that kind of society. We want everything now. We want things done quickly. We want everything instantaneous. And the quicker life goes by, the more we miss. we got to look for those moments. But we're going to learn three truths this morning on how we can, how we can develop a lifestyle that brings a good pace to the way we live and how we can develop our relationship with God and with other people with the world we live in. But you might be thinking, well, what's so important about living a life for God that has a healthy pace? What's so important about living a life that is pleasing to God? What's so important about, about taking time to, to slow down? Or are we not supposed to run in this life so that we can get ahead? Do I even have time to give to God? Do I even have time for my family or for my loved ones? I don't know if I can do that. And so we'll have all these questions and all these scenarios that we'll go through. But did you, did you ever come across a day or a season in your life where you were so busy you forgot what day it was? That you're so busy or, or maybe you had so many thoughts that when you woke up you forgot what day you're on. Well, we get ready to be here on Sunday mornings at about 5.30. So I need to be up by 4.15 around that time to get ready and be here. I'll get my things ready the night before. I got up one morning and I got up in a panic because it was 5 o'clock. And I thought, I'm going to be late for church. So I started scrambling, getting everything ready. I didn't even have my things prepared for the Sunday morning. My clothes and everything wasn't ready. And I was going in a scramble, just about to get the shower ready. And Heidi, who's sleeping, says, what are you doing? I said, I'm late for church. It's 5 o'clock. My alarm didn't go off. And she says, why are you making all that noise? I said, I got to get my clothes ready. I didn't get my clothes ready. And she said, it's Saturday. I said, what? She said, it's Saturday. I was so happy. Well, Heidi wasn't, but I was so happy. It was, it was Saturday. I, got, I went back to bed. I got to relax, and I, got, I, I just forgot what day it was. 
Many of us live life and fast forward that everything melds together, everything blends together, and life becomes a blur. We don't even know what we ate the morning before. We don't even know what we did yesterday or the week before. It's like life goes by so quickly, we very rarely enjoy the moments that God gives to us with our loved ones, with people we come in contact with, our friendships. It goes by so quickly. Our kids grow up. It just goes by so fast. We want to learn how we can enjoy those moments, how we can be people who slow down a little bit. Some of us, we can slow down a lot. Some of us, maybe just a little. Some of you, you're thinking, I need to speed it up. So we all live at different paces. But God knows the best pace for us to live in. In his book called While You Can Dance, uh, Dance While You Can, Lance Wubbles writes this. He says, I will slow down, set limits on my commitments and work, and make certain that those whom I love remain first in my life. I will not allow the pressures that bear down upon our lives to get wedged between us and keep us apart. I think when it comes to our family, our relationship with God, our relationship with people, our friendships, there can be times where life puts a wedge between us because it's just so busy. We don't have time for people, which is the most important thing God brings into our life. Dance while you can. Enjoy the moments that God brings to us. See, you and I cannot enjoy life in a hurry. We just can't. Life is not made to be enjoyed on the fly. We cannot develop our relationships on the fly. We cannot get to know our family members on the go. We cannot get to know our children at a fast pace. But the most obvious one of all is we cannot get to know God in a hurry. We just cannot. We're not created that way. In fact, if you're taking notes, you can, you can uh, take out your bulletin and there's some notes that you can take and, and uh, follow along. But if you are, you can write that in your first point. One of the ways that we can develop this relationship with God and to remember that I cannot get to know God in a hurry. It's just not possible. I don't think any of us can get to know one another in a hurry. We do the, hi, how are you doing? Good, great. Hope you have a great day. Oh, awesome. Excellent. Okay, see you later. Bye. You don't get to know each other in that short conversation. We think we're all doing well. You know why we talk like that? We don't have time to listen to each other's failures, hurts, situations. And we say hi and bye because we don't want to pour it out to people. We don't have time for one another. Because if it was reality and if we did make time for people, we would say, yeah, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not doing great. I'm not doing good. And 20 minutes go by and you're thinking, I got to go. I didn't, know, wanna, I didn't want to know how you're doing. I just wanted to be nice. But we all go through those times. We cannot develop relationships in a hurry. Our relationship with God, the most important of all the relationships we have, will not thrive and develop in a hurry. If you've been reading along with us in our bookmarker, some of us, we call it devotions, we'll read through a bookmarker and we'll actually read through the entire Bible in a year if you stay on track every day. Sometimes we miss a day or two or a chapter. But if you've been reading with us through the Bible, you've just read about David who was anointed the king of Israel, after a man by the name of Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, and then David came on the scene. But remember what David was before he became king? He was a shepherd. And David took care of sheep. 
In fact, when they chose the different, all of, all of his brothers who looked like they should have been the king, the prophet came and said, no, that's not, the, that's not who is to be king. Do you have any more uh, sons? He said to Jesse, and Jesse said, I have one more, but he's tending to the sheep. His name is David, and he's the shepherd. Well, David becomes king, but before that, he has this little conflict with Saul, who is the former king, and now he's running from Saul for his life because Saul wants to kill him. So he runs from Saul. He hides in the strongholds. He hides in the caves, in the wilderness, and he's running. Not only that, he goes through a season of his life where he does some things that are sinful to God. So he goes through all kinds of trials, but he's also a poet, a songwriter, a musician. He's a shepherd also. And so he understands the shepherd's point of view and the sheep point of view when it comes to shepherding. And David writes one of the most famous psalms in the Bible. And it's called the 23rd Psalm. We know it as a shepherd psalm. And although many will know this psalm, many will quote it, many have memorized it, very few understand its impact and what David was intending for us to understand and it's in your notes, and in Psalm 23, 1 through, th- 1 through 3, it says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. That's a message for all of us, and I think it rings loud and clear for those who have gone through the battles and who have come out victorious. It makes sense for those of us who carry many burdens, but we put our hope in the one true shepherd, Jesus Christ. See, your life, my life, will move at whatever pace we set it to. It'll move at whatever pace we set it to. Like a treadmill, if you go running on a treadmill, you set your own pace. It's the same thing with life. You'll set your own pace. And notice that when David writes these words, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. He guides me into greener pastures. He is the one that leads me to righteousness for His name's sake. It's Him. But listen, we don't end up there. We don't end up by still waters. We don't end up in green pastures. We're led there. We don't just live life and then all of a sudden, oh, look at this oasis. I love my life. This is beautiful. I have pina coladas, non-alcoholic, and I'm just enjoying my, I'm enjoying the view. And so, we're led there. We don't end up in that life. But He's the one that leads us there. How do we do that with the lifestyle we live? Because if it's true that my, my relationship with God is the most important one, then how do I do that? Is there something that I need to go through? Then I become a person who sits beside still waters or my lifestyle becomes a little bit more organized or a little bit more uh, uh, well-prepared? How do I do that? Psalm 46.10, and it's in your notes. It says it like this, to be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. You know what that tells me? It's possible for us to be still. It's possible for us to make the choice to be still. 
We cannot know God in a hurry. It doesn't say, hey, just go at a fast pace in your life and you get to know God. It says, be still and know that I am God. See, that word, be still, I'm going to give you some words that are attached to that word in its translation. And here's some words that they use. It means to sink, to relax, or to sink down, to let drop, to withdraw, idle, abandon, refrain, forsake, to let go, to let alone, to be quiet, to show oneself slack. But then it has this word, it says, to be disheartened. And I looked at some of those words and I thought, it it just doesn't seem like it would make sense to be disheartened, then I'm going to know God. What the Bible is saying is, if we're not seeking after God and we're getting to know other things and we're, we're developing a lifestyle that is not of God and we're not living to please God, by the time I'm still, I'll be disheartened. Because I'm looking at my life and saying, boy, I'm doing all these things, but I don't, I don't know God. My family is distant. My relationship is further and further apart as the day goes by. It's like we become disheartened when we're not still enough to know God. But it is at that point when we're still, and even if we're disheartened, that that's the beginning of getting to know God and putting us back on the track that we need to be on in getting to know Him and getting to know others. It's our way back to the Father way back to the shepherd who leads us beside still waters. I had a friend of mine I was just talking to, and he said, you know, I came to know the Lord through anger management class. I said, really? He said, yeah. There's like 14 of us sitting in a circle, and we would just go around, just talk about our anger. And we'd go around, and all of us said, I don't know why we're here. None of us belong here. I'm not mad. You mad? I'm not mad. I'm not angry. I'm not angry at anything. I'm angry that I'm here. And so we'll go around in a circle, we would share our stories, but then there was this one guy that he always talked about his relationship with God. And we would all talk about our, our issues and all oh, this and that and blame this person, blame that person, yeah, this and that. And then the next person would share anger, 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 anger. Came to that person, well, you know, I'm spending time with God more and I appreciate my family more and God is changing my life, spending time with Him, learning to read His Word relaxing more, and life is better. It's so much different. My friend said, I was so angry. I was thinking, you're in the wrong class, buddy. This is anger management. What's wrong with you? You're in the wrong class. We're all angry here. Something's wrong with you. But then he started to listen to this person, and then he said this. He said, that's the type of person I would love to work with. So he hired him. And then he said, every single person in that anger management class came to know Jesus Christ because of that one person who got to know God better. Eventually, this person's whole company received Christ and his family received the Lord. Just because one person slowed down enough to develop his relationship with God. You see, your relationship with God, you may feel like, doesn't affect everyone else. Oh, yes, it does. That's why the world doesn't want to be a part of that. Because it doesn't know what it looks like on the other side. But the shepherd gives us a a picture-perfect view of what it looks like. He leads us beside still waters. He'll lead us there. But we must be still enough 
for Him to speak to us so that we can follow. Did you know that God is concerned about how we live our lives? He's concerned that we get to know Him well. He's concerned for us to be still. He's concerned because of this. And number two, you can write this in. Living to please God is my worship to Him. That's our worship to Him. Singing songs is great. It's a part of worship, but that's not all worship consists of. Living to please Him is a part of worship. That's my worship to Him. See, I don't, I don't live to please people. You shouldn't live to please people. We should live to please God. Yeah, but that's hard to do because if you don't please my if I don't please my boss, I'll get fired. If I don't please my teacher, I'll get a bad grade. If I don't please my spouse or my husband or my family, then everything's going to fall apart. How can I be pleasing to God and be pleasing to people? It's going to be difficult because in reality I need to. Listen, if you're living a life that is pleasing to God, everyone else around you will be pleased. Because you're living a life that's pleasing to Him. Yeah, but it's hard to do. It's just hard to do. Live your life pleasing to God. All the other relationships will fall in place. The Bible says it like this. It's not in your notes, but Matthew 6, 30, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. It's not the other way around. He says, if you seek me first, I'll add everything else. But I must be first place. That's the most important relationship. It's my worship to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Doesn't mean we'll be perfect. It means His will will be perfect. We still live life on this earth, learning and growing together in Him. But He says, this is how you're supposed to live for me. You give your life to me, give your body to be used for me, you make it your lifestyle to be pleasing to me. That's your spiritual act of worship. My question is, what are we giving our lives to? What does our life look like? Are we excited about our life because God's doing something great in it? Or are we choosing to go our own way and every day is a frustration? We go through mistakes and we wonder where God is. And God is saying, you're making your own choices. I have a great life for you. But it's up to you to make that choice. It's our spiritual act of worship. See, whatever I give my life to, whatever I give my life to, and its first place is my God. It's not if I come to church or come to know God, that God becomes my God. Well, I get to know Him a little bit. But whatever I give my life to becomes my God. What am I giving my life to? 
Now, I'm not saying to become some religious fanatic and now everything, everything we do is, is, is about hallelujahs and holy and holy and holy and, and I've I got to stay on my knees all day. I've got to carry the Word of God with me. I've got to carry my Bible with me. It's not, it's not that. That's religion. Relationship is I just, I just want to get to know God. I, wanna, I want Him to be first place in my life. I want my lifestyle to be pleasing to Him. I want to live for Him. Because whatever I live for, whatever is first place, becomes my God. I met Heidi when I was 12 years old. My wife Heidi, and she was 13. Everything revolved around Heidi. Because you're in love, right? And so at that age, everything I did was around Heidi. Everything I drew, somehow Heidi's name was included. You know, I would draw a surfing picture or a wave, and, you know, you draw the wave. Many of you did that. You make a nice barrel. But even in that, I would put Heidi's name in there. Heidi. Heidi loves Sheldon. Some hearts on the side. Sheldon and Heidi was here. Then we would write all these things. Even on the school desk, I would carve her name in there, which is wrong, children. Don't do that. And I would, because everything revolved around her. Everything, every, every moment I thought about her. When, we would, when I would be at home and she would be at home, I would fall asleep on the phone. My ear would be in pain speaking to her because I would be lying on the phone. And you're saying, good night, good night, love you, love you too. Okay, hang up. Okay, you hang up. No, you first. No, hang up. Okay, bye. We would just leave the phone there and get up in the morning. Hello? 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 You press the button. Burp. Hello? Hey, hey, good morning. Love you. <laughs> Everything revolved around Heidi. And then I found Jesus Christ. That changed. Then Christ became first. Did I love Heidi any less? Absolutely not. In fact, I could love her more. Why? Because God gave me a different kind of love. It wasn't a human conditional love. It was a godly, unconditional love. Now God is first place. But it doesn't make Heidi feel any more valuable. It makes her feel that much more valuable. Because I said to her, God is going to be first place in our lives. And she understands that. Which makes our relationship priceless. Because God is first. I tell you, when you put God first, it, it, it changes everything. Because that's our spiritual act of worship to Him. Heidi and I still go through mistakes. We still get frustrated. We still go through battles. But now we go through battles together with God. And as the shepherd, He leads us beside still waters. Now I live to please Him. See, I don't, we don't neglect people and those we love when we get to know God. We, in fact, love them more. Because God gives us a different kind of love. In fact, 1 Timothy puts it this way. 1 Timothy 2.1 I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God for help. Uh, ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. In other words, don't neglect them. In fact, God's going to give you a greater love. And then he says, pray in this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. See, this lifestyle pleases God, a life that is at a healthy pace to care for others rather than, rather than just for self is pleasing to God. He enjoys that because He's concerned about the pace that we live our lives. 
When we live to please God, life becomes more about Him and less about us. And it's more pleasing to God because now He sees that we're enjoying our life, the life that He promised us. And when life is more about pleasing God, I'm beginning to understand what it means to be still, to know that He is God. And when I'm still, and I understand that, and number three, you can write this in, I minimize frustration and mistakes. I think all of us would love to minimize frustrations and mistakes, but only if I slow down. Because I minimize, I minimize frustration and mistakes when I slow down. Tell me who is more frustrated. The person driving speed limit or the person behind them in a hurry? Yes, yeah, the person behind them who's in a hurry. Because you're thinking, come on, I got to go somewhere. But here comes the mistake. Because we're in such a hurry, we overtake them and then we get a speeding ticket. And then we become angry and frustrated and we blame the person who is going speed limit. We get mad at them because we got a ticket for speeding because they were going speed limit. Because we were in a hurry. That's usually when mistakes happen. And frustration comes in is usually when we're in a hurry. We're behind someone that's going so slow or going the speed limit and we're in a hurry. We, we get frustrated. Or, or we're trying to live a life that is not designed for us where we're trying to live someone else's life and God is saying, you can't do that. That's not the life that I have for you. You're living someone else's life. The faster the pace the more prone to mistakes. When I'm able to say to God, you know, I, I, I need to settle down a little bit. I need to slow things down. I minimize frustrations. I minimize mistakes. Watch any sport athlete. When they're learning a form, or maybe they're unlearning something of a form that is wrong, They'll do it in slow motion. If they're a quarterback, they'll drop back at a certain pace. They'll go slow so that they can rework their muscle memory. And as they continue to rework it, they can get faster and faster. But not until then, not until their muscles develop a new memory that they can do the things required. Tennis, basketball, paddling. All of these things, when you're learning, you got to take your time because you're learning something new. And that's why God says, when you're, when you're slowing down, it'll minimize your frustrations and your mistakes because you're learning something new. I think we make a mistake thinking that the busier we are, the more important we look. Oh, yeah. How's your day? Oh, busy, busy, busy. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. A million phone calls, ton, thousand emails. I have so many text messages, I just don't even answer them anymore. Forget it. Too many. And we think that that's what it means to be important. Listen, our importance comes from God. He values us. He's what makes us feel important. Not people, not the things we do. It's God. Because we are already valuable to Him without the stuff. He says, you're already important, for, important to me. Yeah, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to make it big. I'm trying to make a name for myself. I'm trying to do something well. 
He says, I can give you a better life than you can for yourselves. I'll prepare your life. In fact, I've prepared one, a well-prepared life for you. It's up to you to make that choice. Some of us know the story of Mary and Martha, and they made some mistakes. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and he had to pass through this village. And in that village was a woman by the name of Martha, and her sister Mary was there. Well, as Jesus was passing through, Martha invites him over for a meal. And so she cooks this big meal, but because she's cooking this big meal, she becomes frustrated because it's only her, by herself, preparing this big meal. You know what is interesting is, Jesus showed up in their village unannounced. Many times, Jesus will show up in our lives unannounced. How are we going to deal with that? Well, Martha is frustrated because of this big dinner. She's frustrated because her sister is not helping her. I notice something else too. Jesus didn't ask Martha to prepare this big meal. He didn't ask her. She did it on her own. She made the choice to prepare this big meal. Question. What are we doing that Jesus didn't ask us to do? What are we including in our lives that God didn't ask us to be a part of? What are we what are we including in our schedules or what have we committed to that God didn't ask us to do? We just did it ourselves. And then here's the frustration with Martha. She gets frustrated with Jesus because she is doing this all by herself. Now, I don't, you know, I I'm trying to catch on to this, but it seems as if Martha made a decision to have this huge luau, this big party, and then blames Jesus because she can't do this. And I thought, how many times I make a choice to do something and then I blame God because I chose. Choose the way I think, choose the way I do things, choose to reject God, and then I blame Him when things don't go according to my plans. And Martha is here grumbling with Christ. Mary, on the other hand, made a different decision. She sat at the feet of Jesus. That was her meal that was well prepared by Christ. And she sat at his feet. Jesus was just talking to her, giving her encouragement, maybe giving her a picture of this well life, this well prepared life that he has for her. Jesus tells Martha in Luke 10 42, he says, There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. If you and I never look for still moments, we will never discover them. If we never take the time to be still, we will never discover the moments with Christ. We will never discover the life-changing moments that God has for us if we're constantly moving there's an African proverb that says, if you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go farther, go together. If you and I ever want to go far in life, I'd say go together with Christ. Go together with God. Most of us want life quick. We want everything now. 
We want the job title now. We want to graduate now. We want our kids to grow up and move out now. We want them to stay little now. We want everything now. Honey, where's my dinner? I'm hungry now. We want everything right now quick. It's like when we were little, when we would go to the swimming pool. Remember when our, we, would, we would get to the swimming pool and they, we entered into the gate? The first thing we did was run. We ran. And they have a sign that says, no running. That should be the sign with our relationship with God. That to develop this relationship with Him, no running. To take our time to spend with Him, to get to know Him. It's hard to get to know God when we're running, when we're in a hurry. And when we slow down a little bit, you watch the mistakes and the frustrations. They'll begin to minimize. Because He's now the one that's directing our life. Many of us want what we want, not what He wants. Now here's, here's what triggers the frustration and where the mistake comes in with Martha. In Luke 10.40, it says, But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. Now she's blaming Christ. It's like it's his fault that she prepared this dinner. If you are taking notes, can you underline distracted? And she was preparing. Most of our life distractions come by the things we choose, not what God has chosen. We get distracted by the things we prepare, not what he prepares. Life wasn't made to be scarfed down. It was made to be enjoyed. If you sit down to eat pasta, a wonderful pasta meal with some shrimp on it maybe, or your favorite meal, it's like you sit there and you savor every single bite. That's what it's for. It's so that you can enjoy every bite. Unless you eat at a fast food restaurant. Someone who eats pasta or spaghetti, you know, you're trying to enjoy the meal, is a whole lot different than someone who's eating a hamburger. Some of us can eat a hamburger in two, three bites. We're done. And even more with fries. Have you ever seen experts with fries? They eat like there's an expiration date on the fries. But that's what fast food is all about. That's why they put those hard chairs in there. You're not, you're not comfortable sitting there. It's like after three or four minutes, you want to leave because something is hurting that you're sitting on. And so they make it that way because you're supposed to get in there, eat, and get out so they can serve the next person. That works for fast food. doesn't work for life. We weren't made to live life like that. Well, how do we fix it then? How do we fix this thing that just runs us dry? Well, here it is, and Mary found it. Luke 10, 39. Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what He taught. I wonder how many times we listen to what Jesus is teaching us. What are we listening to? Is it what Jesus is teaching us? See, when we put God in that first place, it's a choice that we make. We're not saying to everybody else, you don't matter. 
What we're saying is you matter this much that God is first. That way I can do what he's called me to do. And now you're first place. Learn from Jesus. But we must sit at his feet, slow down a little bit. No running. Chew every bite that he gives. Don't just scarf it down. Let him be our teacher. Savor every single moment. Don't let the moment slip by. So let me encourage all of us. Hurry. Slow down. And close your Bibles. Put away your notes. I want to read this story as we conclude. And I love this. I, I read this before and many of you heard it before. Then right after this, Pastor Marsha is going to come up and she's going to talk a little bit about our missions. And this story is, is one that I think we can all relate to. But it makes sense because we try to live a life that we want to live rather than what God sees. And it says this, The businessman was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. Well, the businessman complimented the Mexican fisherman on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The fisherman replied, Only a little while. The businessman then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. The Mexican fisherman said, I had enough to support his family needs. The businessman then asked, but What do you do with the rest of your time? The fisherman replied, He said, I sleep late, fish a little, play with my children, take a siesta with my, with my wife, Maria. Stroll in the village each evening where I relax and enjoy playing guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life, senor. Well, the businessman scoffed. He said, I'm a Harvard MBA. I could help you. You should spend more time fishing. And with the proceeds, buy a bigger boat. With the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you could have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor and then eventually open up your own cannery. You would control the product, processing, and distribution. You would actually need to leave this small coastal fishing village and then move to Mexico City and then on to L.A. and then the big time, New York City. And then from there, you could run your expanding enterprise. But the fisherman asked, but senor, how long would that take? He says, ah, about 15, 20 years. Well, then what, senor? I said, what do you mean, then what? That's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and then sell your company's stock to the public and become very rich. You will make millions. Millions, senor. And then what? So what do you mean, then what? Then you would retire. Move to a small Coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take a siesta with your wife, stroll in the village in the evenings where you could relax and play your guitar with your amigos. But, Senor, I don't think I have 15 or 20 years. Who knows what tomorrow lies? I'm doing that today, and I'm enjoying my life today. But you, you can do that. You enjoy your life. My life is wonderful as it is. It's our choice. 
if we live a life that's pleasing to God or not. So let me encourage all of us. Hurry. Slow down. Enjoy the moments. Enjoy God. Enjoy your family, the people that surround you, and enjoy your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we all live at a different pace. We all live different lifestyles. We, we all grew up differently. We all have different backgrounds. And no one relationship is the same with you. We, we all have individual relationships with you, but the beautiful thing is that you never change, which keeps us solid in our relationships, in our families, in our homes, our community. So we pray this morning that we would be people who really think things through when it comes to being still, and knowing that you are God. I know there's some this morning, Lord, that they don't have this relationship with you and they've been going and going and going and maybe they've never understood how you could love them or how they could live a life that's pleasing to you. But it all starts with, with exchanging the life that you have for us with the life we're living right now. And you have a better life for us to live. And maybe we can't see that, but that's where our trust in you comes in. So if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ this morning and you want to put your trust in Him, I'm going to say a prayer. And in doing so, what you're doing is you're giving your life to God. And you're letting God know that you want to live for Him. Now I'll say the prayer. You can say it after me and mean it with all your heart. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Thank you for dying for me. Paying the price for my sin. I'm thankful that you came. I'm thankful for the life you've given to me. I receive this new life, this new promise for my future. I believe in you. In Jesus' name I pray with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer for the first time and you gave Christ your life, I want to pray alongside of you. And if you would just lift a hand real briefly, I just want to pray over you and ask for God's blessing. Good. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you over here. Anybody else? This is, this is your relationship with God and your decision. Anybody else? You said yes to Jesus. Good. Back there. God bless you. God sees you back there. God sees your hand. You put your hands down. Lord, I pray for all those that said yes to you, that this new life that you're giving to them, that it'll be a brand new experience, one filled with hope, one that will encourage them, but a life that they'll be able to vision out how you see fit. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would be people who set our eyes on you, that look for the, the greater things in you, that we find our importance in you. So we put our trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said amen. Amen. Can we say congratulations to those that said yes to Jesus this morning?